Hello everyone, welcome back to Redrawing the Bath, and today I have the opportunity to welcome someone to the show who I wish I had been recording about 10 minutes ago, because the conversation was just so good and I had a plan, but now I don't, because everything we were talking about was so thought-provoking. Um, this is the first time someone has been on the show where another friend of the show has reached out and said, hey, you have to talk to this person. And so today I have the special opportunity to welcome to the show my new friend, Kyle Butler. Kyle, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. We should have a lot of fun. Oh, it's going to be thinking about what we were just talking about. It's going to be a great time. Um, but you usually when I start, I, I like to ask what your faith journey has been like. Uh, so, so what is your faith journey within Christianity, outside of Christianity? What's your story? I was, um, I want to say I was born in church. I wasn't necessarily born in church, but I started going to church at a very young age when my mom started taking us to church. So she got, you know, what we would call saved early on. And I was maybe four or five years old. And from that point on, seemingly we were in church all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and it was serious for us. And it was serious for me. I, I just wasn't a kid going to church. I was curious. I was intrigued. I tried to listen. I tried to pay attention in our Sunday schools and in our home little, what we used to call family devotion. I, I would, I, I used to pay attention. I was, I was fascinated with some of the Bible stories. Hmm. So what happened was by growing up in this, in this environment, it would appear based upon you know, what I thought I felt inside and what others were telling me via the save the Lord or the prophecies or whatever, that the Lord had a call in my life for ministry. And, and I kind of knew at 16 or 17 that that call was going to one day lead me into pastoring, even though I never wanted to be a pastor, really. <laughs> um, but I, I submitted to the call. I was ordained at 20, 21. And then by 26, I was already pastoring. Uh, not by my own doing. I, I did nothing to lobby for this. I didn't go out and start a church. I inherited the church I grew up in and it just kind of all fell into place that way. And I did that for about almost 15 years until uh, some other circumstances came about where we couldn't continue the way we were continuing. I didn't know mm -hmm. it, would, it would end the ministry, but looking back on it now, that's exactly what it did. Hmm. Wow. It, and you you don't have to go into those details at all um but i'm i'm curious as to if those things had to had to do with a faith a faith excuse me a faith deconstruction no actually <clears throat> here in the town i live in it's a very um populated town a you know very metropolitan area very close to new york city so here real estate is a premium it's it's um you know, you don't, you don't have any open land or open space. So if you're not already a church, if you don't have a, a church building that you, you have, or, you know, that was already a church that you have what, what we call a CO, a certificate of occupancy for as a church, as a nonprofit organization, church like that, then it's very, very difficult to start something on your own as far as, uh, okay, we're going to go get us a new building. And mm -hmm. the city here, the, the town, the municipality, they're very strict in, in letting churches have buildings for churches. Now, 
I also have to be fair in this town we live in. It's a very small town, but we got a lot of churches here as well. So, I, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not like there's only one church in the whole town. I think last count, which was in, uh, I think, around 2008, 2009, I think there were at least 300 churches that were listed in the town that I live in. Uh, Holy cow. Yeah. So, and it's a small town. It's only eight square miles, but Jeez. it's highly populated. It's highly populated. I think over close to 150,000 people in eight square mile space. So, you know, so anyway. Oh my word. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, We're that's on top crazy. of one another here for sure. Yeah. Um, but a circumstance came up, a, a, a situation came up. We were sharing a building with another church and we had been nomadic. Our, our ministry, ever since I was a little boy, I'd always been nomadic. We never secured our own place. So we'd rent here, mm-hmm. rent there, rent here, rent there throughout my whole history with the church. And it, and uh, when that situation came up for us, the place we were renting, we could no longer use. And that led us to, okay, God, what now? What are you going to do? And I thought like all the times in the past, God would open up another door, provide another place, and we'd keep on going. But that didn't happen. And I think I know why now, because that part of my journey uh, was going to come to an end. And if I, at that time, had been asked, if, if, if I heard God ask me, son, it's time to close the church, I would be like, no way! That's the devil. Get out of my head! Not going to happen. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so the circumstances kind of led me to this place, which when I look back on it, it was, it was perfect. It was, it was the right time. Hmm. Dang. That's crazy. It's so funny to me how, I mean, that I resonate so much with that of, of closing something down being, Oh, that's the devil. I mean, (laughs) it's so pervasive in, in just Christian culture in general, particularly the culture at large. It's always uh, if, if you're, if something's going great, then God's on your side. But if something bad's happening, man, that's just the devil. So it's like, can, what, is there room for anything else? Like, <laughs> what if, what if I'm doing something good and then this is the devil and I'm getting what I want or whatever, however that works anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I just think that's funny. So every time I hear that, I'm like, yeah, I, I've, I've been there with so many things. Um, but obviously, during uh, you, you mentioned that, that your life was going to take a, a certain course. So where did it go after that? Well, after that, I I assumed that eventually we would get back to having church. I assumed, uh, <laughs> but six months went by, one year went by, two years went by, three years went by, four years went by, and one day I heard, I woke up and. The first thing I heard was New Beginning Ministries is no more. And uh, New Beginning Ministries was the name of the church and the ministry. Hmm. So by this point, I said, okay, still kind of thinking, hoping that, okay, well, we'll let this go. and We'll start something else later on down the road. Well, another interesting aspect started happening before the church ended, and that was in 2008. When I started going through this metamorphosis, after hearing one day, Son, you have no idea how big my grace is. Mm. And um, my reply to that was, show me. Because I knew that it was right. 
I, I, I had mm. no concept of what grace was. We didn't grow up in a grace environment. We grew up in a work performance, IO, IO, off to work I go. You know, where mm. everything was based on and balanced by and determined by how much we prayed, fasted, served, danced, prayed, you know, did all the churchy things, how many times were we were in church, how long were we in church. I mean, all those things, the praises go up, the blessings come down, how much are you praising? And all of our lives in church growing up, up until this point was all performance-based. So hmm. if the church doors were open, our performance was required and we had to give it our all. I mean, it, it was just, that's the way we lived. And I grew up in a Pentecostal holiness church denomination and they meant that word holiness. So that was a whole nother element to this thing. Like how holy are you? Are you striving to be holier? And it, it, everything was based on get your spirit right. So it was, it was mm. this constant, constant laboring of trying to get it right. You know, continual what we understood at repentance to be back then crying and begging and God and please and help me and I'm sorry and I'll do better and I trust uh, kind of thing. Um, so once once grace started revealing itself to me and showing me that, hey, son. You don't know this yet, but I'm going to show you you're loved unconditionally. There's nothing you have to do for that. And there's nothing else you have to do ever. And mm. I know the the word culture shock, the phrase culture shock is is something people use when they're talking about, oh, I lived in Alaska, then I moved to Texas, and man, it was a culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, coming from this performance work-based mentality, mindset, behavior, you know, it was ingrained in us coming through all that into this place where I was finding rest and peace and grace and, hey, it's all good. And hey, it's already taken care of. And hey, you're already in. And when I was coming into that, it was like, whoa, can this be real? Can this be true? Is it, can it really be this easy? Is this the way it was supposed to be? And um, yeah. that led me to just keep going down the road. And it's been a really I mean, it's been a fantastic journey since 2008. Hmm. Dang, that that's nuts. I mean, I love that that you asked. Show me. I I I think that's beautiful in the sense that this is something that he wants to give all of us. Yeah. And you asked, and you got it. And so I I don't know. I just think that's I I love it when I hear stuff like that when people are at, genuinely ask. Show me the size of your grace and they get it. Um, and, and it, it's funny that you say culture shock. Cause I'm sitting over here thinking from Southern California, right outside Malibu <laughs> to Charleston, South Carolina. I'm like, yep, I, I know culture shock. So I, I, I hear what you're saying, but on a, on a whole different level, I mean, this is like a cosmic shock. Like this yeah. is a, a universal <laughs> paradigm shifting yeah. road that you're walking down. And I'm assuming just judging by, you know, just American Christianity and, and the legalism that pervades it, that as you were walking down this road, you just kept gaining more and more friends that wanted to walk down this road with you. Am I right? Yes. 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 Yep. <laughs> there, there were people who, you know, you don't know 
what you're in for when you start something new, whether it be a new mm-hmm. job, a a new, you know, school, a new church, a new anything. You don't really know what you're in for. You're hoping for the best. You know, you, you might have some um, you know, preconceived notions about what it might be, but you don't really know. So when this started for me, I just assumed that I was just going to help people see it as well. And everyone's going to say, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Let's do it. Let's run. Let's, let's just be grace. Yeah. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> 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 you know, all of these pastors and friends of mine who were pastors and we worked together for years and we fellowshiped together for years and we spent time in, in each other pulpits and, you know, uh, they come to my conferences. I come to their conferences. We, you know, I was traveling around pretty, pretty frequently preaching at different churches all the time. And when I started really teaching grace as I was learning it, I mean, those doors started closing quick, man. They just mm. close, 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 close. And I didn't understand why. I didn't understand mm. why, because I didn't see anything wrong with the grace message. I thought it was the best thing ever. Mm. Um, but I understand now, looking back, the grace message, and and I don't like titling things in in one you know specific category. But for my sake of you know my journey at that time, it was the grace message. So I understood and started understanding when I look back on it that the message itself. It's really not something most, you know, Americanized, Westernized, evangelical churches and pastors really want anything to do with because if you tell people they're free, if you tell people they don't have to work, if you tell, and work I mean by, you know, ministry work and labor and all this service and giving and all that stuff, if you tell people they don't really have to do that, that God is not requiring any of that from them. Well, I, you know, I, I just might start losing people if I do that. Hmm. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to yeah. tell you a little bit about grace, but I'm going to keep it still heavily influenced with performance and work and doing and your job and your responsibility, how Jesus wants it all and God wants it all. And you got to give him your all. You got to give him your best and da, 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 da. And, uh, you know, the message itself, the message of unconditional love, the message of grace, the message of freedom, the message of peace and joy, and all those beautiful attributes that is in the very essence of Christ. A lot of pastors, and I'm not knocking pastors, I was there. We don't like that. We hmm. want accountability. We want to hold people to the fire, so to speak. We want to make people understand that they've got a, a job to do. God is a, looking for you. I remember um, years ago, I was when I was pastoring, I was a stickler for starting on time. We're going to mm. start on time. God is a God of order. You know, that whole spiel. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I was I would hold everyone accountable. We, we even got a countdown clock on our on our overhead projection system. And, and boy, I tell you what, when that thing hit zero, I'd better hear some music playing and people singing. I mean, that's, oh, man. <laughs> you know, if not, yeah. I was calling the worship leader after service, like what happened today? You know, you yeah. know, we got to start on. I don't understand. I'm confused. It's, it's simple. You know, that whole thing. Well, that was all based on my programming, what I'd grown up under. 
So years later, now I'm no longer pastoring. And one day it occurred to me, uh, hey, Kyle, you know that whole starting at on time thing and God is a God of order thing? And I heard, I never told you what time to start church. That was all you. (laughs) 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 I was like, yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's so good. I love it. You know, I'm, I'm interested, but I want to hear how this has, has brought you to where you are now. But before, before we keep going, I, Growing up, your your holiness Pentecostal or Pentecostal holiness background sounds a lot like my Reformed Baptist background, mm. except when uh, Reformed Baptists worship, it's kind of like a, a hostage scene in a war movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> for the most part, there there are some some people that'll hold their hands about halfway up their their uh, above their heads, and then that's pretty much it. But it's interesting to me how the reformed advertisement is penal substitutionary atonement. And because of that, there's grace. Yeah. But you've got to do all this stuff. And and so I'm interested just not being familiar with, with your theological background in that denomination. What was, how did they kind of hold those two things in tension? Well, they didn't actually. Um, because we didn't really get anything about grace, Hmm. at least not, um, I mean, you know, we got the, by grace, you're saved by faith, blah, blah, blah. Uh, my grace is sufficient for you. As a matter of fact, whenever I heard a message and then preached it later as a, as a pastor about my grace is sufficient, the way it was preached to me, taught to me and the way I in turn preached it and taught it was. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it is, no matter what the suffering is, no matter what the devil is doing to you, God will sprinkle you with a little bit of grace. You take that grace and you go through that pain. You go through that tragedy. You go through that hurt. You keep doing it no matter what the devil does, no matter what people do. You go through it and you go through it with great joy because Mm -hmm. his grace is sufficient kind of a thing. And I remember hearing that as a kid and a teenager and then even while I was trying to teach it that way I thought what the heck was Paul so happy about most gladly will I therefore like what's wrong with him to me (laughs) and my logic outside of my theological belief at the time my logic said the only way I would get excited like that is if you took the thing away (laughs) (laughs) yeah Make the problem go away. Then I could understand yeah. most gladly. Then, well, I do this. Yeah. You take the, you took the problem away. <laughs> you yeah. know, so yeah, that's, then your grace is sufficient. Yeah. Then okay, cool. <laughs> this grace thing is really cool. Yeah. You know, but that that's all I knew about grace. So we knew suffering. We knew uh, Jesus did it all, paid it all. You know, for you and because of you, because you were nothing but a you know a despicable, disgusting speck in the eye of God. Jesus came down and did this for you. And, oh, you need to give him your life. You need to give him your glory. You need to give him your praise. You need to give him everything because he did this for you. And we we grew up in, in really with more of that and really mm. none of because he did this for you, go and enjoy this. You know, only thing that was given, the only way or in the, the only scheme that we had in that was he did this for you. 
you accept it. One day you go to glory. One day you go to heaven. Mm -hmm. And that was the payoff for us. We had no no perceived payoff down here. We had nothing to look forward to down here. We were projectionist. Everything was projected to a fall off place called heaven. We just go through this life and suffer the best way we can. And then one day we'll get to heaven. Everything will be okay. Um, so grace was a foreign concept to us. Rest was a foreign concept to us. We knew none of that stuff at all. Mm. I, I'm becoming more and more disturbed by that idea that, that heaven's just kind of this far off place <laughs> and we're just supposed to suffer. It's very Gnostic. It is. Uh, for, for a church that's so adamantly, or I mean, I guess, has a heritage that fights so desperately against that fought so desperately against Gnosticism that it, it it's literally now pervaded with Gnosticism yeah. it, and it, it just blows my mind. And, and it's crazy that gosh, it, 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 it it's fascinating me how similar in, in ways that that theology is to the theology that I grew up in, even though most of the reformed pastors that I interacted with, uh, not all, but but most would never walk into a room with a with a Pentecostal pastor. Um, <laughs> Likewise, this, it, well, I mean, yeah, it, but but it, it's interesting that you mentioned that the um, that he did this for you, so you've got to now do this. This is what you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. it, and I see that in Reformed theology too. But it's much more shifty. Mm. It, it, it's much more. Like, yeah, like this is the best thing ever. Like Jesus took all the wrath, very wrath oriented of a very Jonathan Edwards influenced of yeah. all these pictures of how horrible wrath is. And and so it's almost this subconscious scare tactic to be like, yeah, all of that, Jesus took that for you because you deserved it. So now, and I'm not going to say you have to because there's grace, but I'm going to say that for those of you that don't, this is what's waiting for you on the other side. Yeah. So it's just, it's interesting to me. It is. It is. It is very interesting. And, and, and so, I mean, with that, what, so obviously from, from what we were talking about uh, before we started recording and, and even just now your, your faith journey has evolved and you've kept going down that road. So where are you now? I'm at this beautiful destination. Well, actually not a destination. I don't, I believe that this is a journey. It's not really a destination, but Hmm. along the journey, there are pit stops maybe, or places. And so I'm at a place now where I am understanding Christ consciousness, how it runs through, is in and a part of all of humanity, hmm. how we, the offsprings, if you want to say, perhaps the creation of the, the essence of this consciousness, this overall consciousness from source, God, love, you know, whatever floats your boat, mm-hmm. we're all part of this. This is where we all came from, out of, and not just out of it from a point of, okay, you're out of me. You got a little bit of me. Now go do you. It's it's more of 
when we came out of this consciousness, this, this essence of love, this source, we came out fully developed as it. Hmm. But, you know, someone was going to say, well, if that's the case, if we're all love and everything's perfect, why are mankind doing what they're doing? About them? Da, 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 da. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I, I think mostly because we don't know. Hmm. We don't know. What we do know or what we've been told is what dirty, rotten, nasty, wretched, no good sinners, as Jonathan Edwards said, a spider in the hands of God. Would, would much rather throw you in the fire and destroy you rather than help you because you're disgusting or something about along those lines. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so because we're told that, what does anybody, what could anyone aspire to if that's what you're told? And then you're told you need someone, some outside entity, some outside power to come and to save you from this wrath. Now, once this outside entity saves you from this wrath, you have to then let it live inside of you and follow its instructions. And its instructions are holy and righteous. Anything outside of that, you're disobeying this, this essence and this, this help. And if you do that, then that keeps God forever upset at you until you get it right. And mm. humanity has gotten on this merry-go-round of trying to become pleasing in the, in the eyes of its very creator. Mm. And there is no way possible for humanity to ever get to that place by that method. We have to become aware through an awakening who we really are. And that is a simple truth that Jesus was really trying to show. I don't think it's coincidence that Jesus never said, hey, guys, guess what? Dad hates you. He hates you a lot. <laughs> And I'm yeah. here to cover that hatred that he has for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that if that was the purpose, he would have said that, you know, he would have, yeah. he would let us know like, guys, yeah. you have no idea. You have <laughs> no idea how much God hates you, how much dad is upset at you. You have no idea. Listen, we made a contract. We made an agreement. I'm going to come down here and fix this stuff because woo -woo, you have no idea what's in store for you when you die. Yeah. I, I yeah. think I think if that was the purpose, he would have said that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> or the prodigal son story would have been a lot more dark. Than, right. Than right. It was. Exactly. Exactly. Or any one of those parables there in Luke 15, which you got a whole chapter dedicated towards a father, a source, a love that says none of y'all are getting away from me. I don't care what you do. I don't care how dirty you get under the ground you coin. Uh, I, I, uh, you you sheep that you that think you know you know better and you lost. I don't care how far you go. Hey son, you that just kind of want to go out and figure that you know you, it's best for you to come back as a servant. None of you, 
no ask no whether you think you're the coin and the dirt you're dirty you're rotten you're forgotten or you're the sheep you just don't understand so you just go try to figure it out on your own or you're the son who thinks you're no longer worthy enough to be the son but the servant none of you are ever going to be lost to be mm. i'm gonna find you and i'm gonna clean you up and whatever whatever so you know i think that if we can come to a place as people, not through, a, not through a religious lens, because you don't need a religion, you don't need a faith in order to be who you've always been. Hmm. You know, you are your parent's child. You didn't need anything to be that. Hmm. And there's nothing that can ever erase this truth about who you really are. I like to use this example. If I was, well, I used to use Gates, but I, I probably won't use his name right now because there's all this, you know, stuff with Bill Gates. But let me use a different yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. wealthy family. <laughs> you know, oh, if, if I was a Jobs, right, but I didn't know it, right? So my 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 father was Steve, and I don't even know if he ever got married or not. But anyway, I know I think he had a daughter. But if if I was Steve Jobs' son. But I didn't know it. And I went through life struggling, poor, whatever. And I just didn't know I was a, I was a jobs. And then one day somebody finds me, looks me in my eye and said, hey, Kyle, you are a jobs. I'm a jobs. Well, let's go. Let's go be a job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I leave everything behind instantly. Everything, like with no problem. I take me to the cal to the palace to the kent, you know, to the to the mansion, whatever. I'm going to be yeah. a jobs. You know, I, I found who I really am. <laughs> so, isn't that what everyone would do if someone looks them in the eyes and says, "Hey, I just want to tell you." Love loves you and you're accepted by that love that loves you. And there's nothing you have to do. You mm. are part of, you are the very essence of this love that loves you. Now just go now that you know and be love. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't think we needed anything other than that. I really don't no. No, we, I, I don't think so either. And shoot, we're about to, to dig into some, some great a heresy here, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's so funny to me or I, it's not even funny. It's really sad actually. Yeah. Of, of looking re kind of rereading the, the biblical narrative as I've been going through deconstruction and acknowledging Christ consciousness as even, not even as a, as a solid doctrine or dogma, but even just as a, as an idea or as a, as a concept to mull over and think about um, and realizing that, like you said, everything comes from one singular source, which is love. And that that's literally what it says in Genesis one. Like if God is love and God created the universe, mm -hmm. then love created the universe. And, and yeah. even at the fact that, that everyone likes to mull this over and I, I could be wrong, but the fact that God rests on the seventh day, mm -hmm. like it's not, that's not there for no reason. He was tired because he had poured everything he had into this creation. Mm -hmm. Like he gave all of himself to this thing. 
that he made. And, and you see this over and over and over again in the Old Testament in, in different ways. And and obviously maybe not get into the inerrancy conversation. Um, <laughs> but and I think I mean, I, I think in some ways the authors screwed it up, but um, that that's another episode. Yeah. Um, but in the person of Jesus, you see this person of if you've seen me, you've seen the father and he's completely self-emptying. Yeah. Completely loving. Yeah. And then you have these parables where, like you said, the the shepherd's willing to go to any lengths. Mm-hmm. The woman is willing to go to any lengths. The the father of the prodigal is willing to go to any length. And he gives everything he has to both sons. Yeah. It, it's I find it so fascinating that he gives the one son his his uh possessions. And then at the very end of the story tells the other son that was blinded by his own perception of being nothing more than a servant to his father. He says, everything I have is yours. Yeah. So he has completely emptied himself for his children. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I mean, it gives me goosebumps just, just thinking about it, but it's yeah. just like, how did we miss this? Like where, where did we go wrong? Yeah. 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 I, you know, again, it's, it's, we, we got on the merry-go-round of what we were told. Um, and if the, I think if the, the concept of Christianity in its beginning, if these men who was with Jesus, you know, said, Hey, I want to go out here and let people know that they're one with God. God is their father, their creator, their source, that they're loved unconditionally. Cause I, I think the gospel message is far more intense than what we see in scriptures. Mm. And, and I know that this troubles people and I don't understand why, cause it's just simple logic to me, but we have a very small sample of what Jesus actually said and did. I mean, the, the four gospels almost repeat themselves. So it's not like you get four chapters or four writings of Jesus doing all these different kinds of things. I mean, you've got a lot of those stories are repeated in several Hmm. of the Gospels. Sometimes all three or all four, sometimes two, sometimes three, sometimes just one. But my point is, the, the ministry life of Jesus, most people believe, was three and a half years. I mean, there had to be a heck of a lot of stuff he said to his boys. Yeah, you know, talking all the time, you know. So mm. I think the gospel message was much bigger, much broader, much more clear than what we dig out of the four gospels. And mm. it 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 became over time this doctrinal belief, this theological um foundational stone of you must be born again. We've taken a story hmm. of a man who encountered Jesus late at night all by himself. And they have a conversation, a conversation in which words that Jesus told this one man, he would never utter again. He wouldn't charge his disciples with this message. The writers after Jesus' time, John, Peter, James, they never say that to anyone. Paul, who has this, you know, encounter with Jesus, as he says, and 
it's given the gospel of grace to the Gentiles, as he says. He himself never repeats those words. And we've we've built this whole mod, this whole big colossal thing, Christianity, on you must be born again. Hmm. So we we've gone out and we tried to galvanize the world around this doing when the message in my view should have just been about being hmm. you are this this is who yeah. you are now go be hmm. instead of do this now go keep doing yeah yeah well well it seems to me like a lot of the reason that we and and the the gospel like what is the gospel like we always, like everyone <laughs> likes to say that i mean it, right. it, it's it's ridiculous i mean even just it, over the last few weeks it's it's been scott mcknight saying that that king G, jesus is king is and his kingdom will reign forever is the gospel and then you have the gospel coalition people like well no like the gospel is that jesus like first there was creation and there was the fall. Then there was uh, this, the sacrificial system and there was Jesus. And then one day there will be new Jerusalem and that's the gospel, but that's not the biblical gospel. Right. But even with the, with the Nicodemus story, I, so much of it comes down to not understanding the context of right. what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus right. in that moment. Right. And, and it has to do the born again is literally the symbolism of being ritually cleansed for the purpose of being restored back to your original state mm -hmm. so it's just like i don't again i don't know how we miss this stuff like how like they, you would think with how expensive <laughs> bible colleges and, and seminary is and and to get a, a phd this stuff would like this this would actually be accurate yeah. or efficient or worth some i mean i'm not going to say it's not worth something but it would actually be helpful just to say you must be born again. It has nothing to do with praying some kind of sinner's prayer. It has to do with accepting who you are. Yeah. It has to do with being restored to your original state. Yeah. And so I don't know. It's it's nuts to me. I I but I'm interested um to to hear what you think. So for for you now, then where do love and grace and Jesus and and New Jerusalem even where do these things fall into place in light of, of Christ consciousness and, and that understanding. Well, this might get me into some trouble, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Oh no, at this point it's okay. <clears throat> but I thought when I found grace or grace found me or whatever I want to say, well, I found it more than it found me when I opened up to the understanding of grace and what grace looks like from, heaven's perspective, God's perspective, father's perspective. Um, I thought this is it. Hmm. That's it. Boy, I tell you what, we should have started with grace, uh, new covenant, that whole thing. This is all there is. I thought that, and I was willing hmm. to stay there to pitch my tent in the grace camp and be a gracer for life and just teach grace as I learned it then. But uh, somewhere along the line, as is my custom, things in the grace camp started to bother me. <laughs> you know, yeah. Wait, God, you 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 mercilessly beat Jesus. Like, hmm. why would you do that? And 
what if you change your mind in the future and say, that's not enough, Kyle, you're next. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the flood didn't work. So clearly you've got a couple plans here. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, things in the grace camp stop making sense to me because I was now growing in the understanding of unconditional love. Mm. A love that is not offended by anything. A love, if God is all-knowing, how in the hell can he get mad at me for slipping up today if he already knew I was going to slip up before I got here? Mm. How does that make any sense? Yeah, that, that makes no sense. I mean, are you that petty to be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. to hold on to that for thousands of years or maybe millions of years, however long it's been, to hold on to that until I finally do it. And then you say, ha, ah, Kyle, darn it, boy. <laughs> really? Oh, man. I mean, yeah. if that's the way this is, then, I mean, my gosh, again, we're in trouble. So, yeah. you know, you start thinking about that and it starts making sense because you see this love now as being greater and bigger than grace, greater and bigger than any concept, any idea, any one singular thing. It's, it's, it, it is all, it encompasses all, and it's all good. And, um, you know, so when I started seeing that, and then something else, Chris, really helped a brother out. And that was... Uh, <laughs> I started understanding context mm-hmm. and uh, audience relevance and time. And I didn't know anything about context growing up in church. No one said mm-hmm. those words. Oh, you got to read this in context. We pick <laughs> out a scripture. I remember I started preaching at 13. So mm-hmm. my first message, my first message I preached at 13 was on faith. And I remember, I was like, Mom, what do I do? And she said, well, what do you want to talk about? What's the Lord telling you? And I said, because I, lo- I always love faith topics. I want to talk mm-hmm. about faith. And she said, okay, well, go get my coordinates and look up the word faith. And whenever you see a scripture you like, that's it. That's what the Lord wants you to talk about. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I went and got this big old thick book and looked up the word faith and started going down one by one and read a scripture. Now, I don't, I don't understand that one. And I read another one with the word faith. Oh, yeah, that one. You know, And I write it down. And then I got up and I talked about these scriptures. I wrote down about faith. Now, I thought God was giving me a message. But really, I gave myself the message. Because mm-hmm. all I did was take out of context wherever I saw the word faith. Because I knew nothing about context. And I never knew anything about context until I got out. Yeah. And once I realized that, I thought, wait a minute. So it's possible that there's things here that don't apply. Oh boy. Never heard that before. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's in red. If it's in red, it applies to you. Jesus said it. I'd always been taught. Yeah. So I started learning context. I'm starting learning. I'm starting to learn uh, audience relevance that is it possible? Jesus was only talking to them for something that pertained to them at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know what New Jerusalem means. I don't know. I have no clue. I can't see how it means anything to me today. Um, Maybe there's some type of allegorical meaning to it, but I don't know. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm curious as to what happens after this. I'm pretty confident that neither 
um, you know, the, the American westernized Christian view of hell or heaven works for me anymore. So um, that probably includes that whole new Jerusalem thing too. So I don't know. Um, yeah. I'm just at a place now. I just feel very confident knowing that this is a part of our journey. It's just one step. We've done something before we got here for all of the time before we got here. We've been doing something. We just don't mm -hmm. remember. And we're going to do something else. Um, and I hope, for my own sake, I hope it doesn't... <laughs> I hope what that something else is, is not sitting behind some pearly gates, floating around on some cloud, playing a harp, walking on streets of gold when I get tired of that. I hope that's not mm -hmm. what it's going to be. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> if that's the case, leave me here, man. I still want to go to Disney World. I still want to go to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I yeah. still want to go to Europe. I mean, a lot of stuff I still want to do here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. No, I, I hear you. <laughs> Gosh. Man. Well, I mean, at that... I, I was gonna ask you what what the what do you think the the end is then what what is the end like what is the end goal right uh, I I don't know I mean I once thought hmm. I knew I, I once thought this was all about heaven or hell you know but I've I've been fascinated lately Chris with some people who have had uh, NDEs near death experiences and. Mm -hmm. uh, seers who actually see into this afterlife realm. And I'm fascinated by some of the stories that they tell. Now, they, they all seem to have something in common. And what's mm -hmm. in common is this great light or this great feeling of love mm -hmm. that they all yep. experience. And by the way, I have yet to hear anyone having an NDE that ever talked about anything close to being a hell. Yeah, I, I've never heard one. I, I've never. Yeah. Now people wrote it in books. Oh, I, what the hell? I saw it. I was in twenty three minutes. I saw it. It was this light in the third. Oh um, no, I read that book. Right, I, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but I've never heard anyone tell a, a NDE and talk about this hell thing. I've heard yeah. everyone talk about either this tremendously bright light or this tremendous love. That is the closer they got to this light or this feeling of love, they were just totally engulfed by it. Hmm. Yeah. So I want to know what that's that's like. And then whatever happens yeah. after that, then you know, we'll 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 ride that ride. Because if 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 we're gonna close our eyes and get into that light or that love, then I think we're gonna be okay. Whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever happens after that. I think it's going to be completely okay because we're in that love. I mean, we're mm -hmm. in it now, but we're really in it because now we're not experiencing it from this three-dimensional perspective. We're in it, like in the fullness of it. We, we've 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 left this our five senses behind us, which are so limiting when we're trying to really understand spiritual matters. So that's what I think the end is like. I think it's just a another beginning, actually. Hmm. And I, I think that's what New Jerusalem is. So I, I guess we we agree in a way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I may not call it that, but yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah. And to was, them, to gonna, them, it made sense. Sorry. New Jerusalem, it made sense. 
Jerusalem was their hot spot. Jerusalem was their heart. Jerusalem was the, the very prize of the whole, uh, you know, for them that in that region, you know, everything was mm-hmm. centered around Jerusalem. It's where the temple was. It was where their, their, their hearts was. So that makes sense. You know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, if the, if the language, the language that was used works for them, you know, cause they're thinking mm-hmm. about this, this utopia, this, this, this place where everything is perfect because what was perfect for them in their eyes, what was the Messiah in their eyes, someone who was going to come back and restore the kingdom of David, someone who's going to mm-hmm. come back and bring back to them the, per, the, 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 um, the, um, the, 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 the kingdom and, and, and all of the, 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 the trimmings that came with it. That's what they were hoping for and looking for. Someone was going to bring us back to our glory. So we're no longer stepped on as little insignificance. We're going to be the aggressors. We're going to take over the world kind of a thing. So hmm. yeah, to them, I can understand why new Jerusalem made a lot of sense in their understanding. Because they were probably were thinking about it as this beautiful utopia, this beautiful place where all is well, nothing's wrong, and we're back to being who we who we who we were from our ancestors. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I, I that that blows my mind because it it brings me back to what's mentioned before New Jerusalem is is a new heaven and a new earth. Yeah. That, that's mentioned before and, and geez, man. Context is king, yeah. as my good friend Doug Main always used to say. <laughs> Indeed, so, it is. Oh man, we've covered so much ground. I mean, I don't, I, I don't even. I usually, um, I usually end this by asking, like, so what do we do? Like, what's the, what are we supposed to do in light of all of these things? And so, I mean, shoot, we've covered so many different topics, but it's it's been interesting to watch as they kind of all full circle around back to one another but what what do we do kyle what how how then shall we live what what are we supposed to do in light of the things we've talked about today if you would have asked me several years ago in my pastoral years if a member would have walked up to me and said pastor kyle i want to know what god's will is for my life i would have said well god has a call on your life for one You've been sent here to do something for the Lord. Now, your call might not be preaching. It might not be singing, but you've got a call in your life for something. And and my job as a pastor, I thought, was to help people identify what their calling was and to help get them to that place. Hmm. I no longer think that. I no longer believe that. Hmm. And it's probably a good thing, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I now believe if, if, if there is a call, so to speak, if there is a overall call on everyone's life, I think that it's universal, meaning the call, if there is such a thing on us all, on every single life that has lived, will live, and is currently living, I think the call is simple. No that you are loved by love and that you accept it fully by love. Hmm. Now just go and live life. Go and explore and discover all of the beautiful, wonderful things that I have placed here in this earth for you to go and enjoy and discover and find. Hmm. Because once one knows 
who they are and how they're loved and, in, and accepted, what else could there be? What yeah. else should there be? So I think that's what we do next forever. Mm. We, we come to <laughs> yeah. a knowing this is who we are and we just go do life. Hmm. Yeah. Dang. It's a, it's a constant re- reformation yeah. in, in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting of, of, I think it was Richard Rohr who said that, that we forget that Jesus came to reform uh, Judaism. He didn't come to create another religion. He came to reform one that already existed. Yeah. And that was his original intent. It's a, it's a constant reformation, not a, and evolution, not necessarily a, a new thing with new labels and new concepts of, of supremacy over others. Right. Exactly. Well, Kyle, I, I always try to end the show with, obviously the show is about spirituality in, in practicality and, and spiritual practice and discipline and, and these things. And, and so I think one of the, one of the things that's always really missing out of out of the church and out of, I guess, just Christian conversation in general is the discipline and practice of encouragement. And so, Kyle, I just want to say thank you um, to you for being willing to jump on with someone you didn't know. Um, I, I, I mean, I've, I've been asked by people who I didn't know, and it's always a little like, oh, I don't know who you are. But thank <laughs> you for being so willing to, to jump on with me. And, and thank you for you for for continuing down this road and being faithful to to yourself and and to that law of love and pressing in on it and and being bold enough to go where it leads you regardless of of the consequences or the labels or the pushback or or anything like that and i know that uh jason elam interviewed you and i know that uh heretic happy hour i think yeah maybe this isn't going to come out for a long time. So, okay. or for a few months. Um, <laughs> but I know they've interviewed you yeah. and, and I'm just, I'm really excited to see, um, especially with everything we've talked about bef- off and on air, um, where, where that goes for you. And I'm excited to see your voice in this community. And I'm happy that I got to sit down and talk with you. Chris, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, to me, it's an extreme honor when someone, especially people who don't know you, want to talk to you. So Mm. thank you for your courage and your confidence in just hearing the suggestion that I might be a person you want to chat with. So I Mm. I thank you for that. And I thank you for the opportunity. It's been, it's been incredibly fun. And, um, you know, I, 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 I appreciate getting to know you as well. Hmm. Thanks, Kyle.